Talking Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, we're typically a Leafs podcast, but since the Jays clinched, I got to get your X Factor here for the playoffs. The X Factor? Well, you know how it is, like... This is the time when I come alive in my James Jays fandom. So, I, you're on the bandwagon. Yeah, no, I, I kind of I'm driving the bandwagon every year. Like that's my role in this team. But uh, I will say, Manoa's gonna have to be huge. I, I don't like that they played him. Like he's not gonna play in those wild card games. I don't think he is. Um, but I'm gonna go with Alejandro Kirk, who is just that's just my guy. What did you say about Manoa is, for the wildcard game? Is he, uh, I know we talked about this like a week ago, and there was like some problem about how he's not going to be playing in the wildcard game. Cause, uh, I think he will. Oh, yeah? I, so there's there's three wildcard games this year. Like, it's a little series. So they were thinking that he'd play, like, if home field advantage was on the line, that he'd pitch before the wildcard to get, so that they play in Toronto. But just so I don't know. I think it's... I think it's a bluff. They might the last game might not matter anyways. So who is your other X factor? Kirk. Yeah, it's just Kirk. Manoa's uh, he's not an X factor. He's just he's got to be he's got to be the best. But Alejandro Kirk, I'll say, is their uh, their X factor. Yeah, for the vibes alone, I think right. Like that's a that's a good battery. He calls the pitches for Manoa, so I like it. Yeah, he, he needs to step up. Jansen's been hot right right now, but I'll go my X factor. I'm gonna go. I gotta go Matt Chapman. I just I like Matt Chapman. He strikes out a lot, but if he starts putting the ball in play and he's got the ability to hit it out, so I'll go with Yeah, him. you're a big but you're a big defense guy. That's why you love Tapia, right? Big don't like Tapia. <laughs> big defense guy. The Shet's been frustrating to watch in the field, but should be fine. I think between MLB playoffs and the Leafs season getting underway in about a week and a half here. Uh, we got the NFL in full circle, basketball starting up. October's prime sports season, right? And I think the star of this time of the year right now has been Dennis Malgan, Nick. So other than Malgan, or maybe you want to start with Malgan, I want to get your biggest storylines of the preseason. Who's impressed you? Who's been the Leafs MVP thus far? I need to know that on uh, Jay's podcast right now, if they're like, okay, before we get to the Jays, what about Dennis Malgan? Like, have you been watching <laughs> him? Be. Have you been watching him? Um, no. Well, let's talk Let's talk about Malgan because I think he's kind of unfairly taken a lot of heat uh, just because of the trade that he was a part of. We've seen this before um, where players Kerfoot. get traded. Yeah, Kerfoot's a great example where – and they just take heat for no reason. Um, I think the big thing with Malgan is just his age. You know, when the Leafs took him, he was 24, 23 years old. Uh, he was already in the league for like three years with Florida. So, you know, he, he's played in the NHL at a very young age. Uh, the Leafs, you know, with COVID and just everything going on with how many players they had, they decided to send him to Europe. He had two great seasons in Switzerland. He was good at the World Championships. Uh, he played a little bit at the Olympics, which he was good at. Um, so I kind of kept an eye on him just because... You know, sooner or later, he had to come back here. And before the season started, I tweeted out saying that he's probably the biggest dark horse going into this. Um, sometimes it's a little difficult to watch European hockey and then project how players will play over here, like Berbanov, Letnin, or come to mind. But 
So Malgin came in with a kind of a question mark, but an intriguing question mark at that. And I mean, I think he's been really good. Um, obviously, we knew that he was creative in the offensive zone. He's a good puck carrier. But what's kind of surprised me is just his puck protection around the boards. Uh, he seems like he's stronger on his feet than before. So I see him making the team. I don't know how much he's going to produce when he's up there, but I think he's going to be like a decent contributor, you know, especially for, for how much they're paying him right now. So, so far so good for Malgin. Like, do, do you have him on the, uh, on the opening roster there, uh, Kevin? Yeah, as of now, especially Tavares and Engvall potentially hurt. I think Tavares is definitely missing the first game. Engvall, I mean, we haven't seen him yet. We haven't really seen him in practice yet. So he's, he's a question mark. Uh, as you said, he's a player who made the NHL at 19, uh, which was quite remarkable, being a fourth-round pick. Um, has already almost 200 games under his belt. I think he's an NHL player somewhere, whether that's Toronto or elsewhere. I think he's played well enough to make the team out of camp. Uh, like I think he's outplayed someone like Joey Anderson, for example. Uh, I think they could use a little bit of secondary scoring, especially with Tavares and Engvall out. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be in the playoff lineup. My guess would be no. I think he could end up on waivers kind of mid-season. We'll see. Um, for him, it's just a matter of, you know, he's not the biggest guy. Uh, while he does look pretty good in preseason, there's no denying that. I think with him, you do wonder about his ability to win puck battles. He's kind of iffy defensively. Um, so he's got to, he has to score enough to kind of offset those de- defensive... I don't know if it's... He's not terrible defensively, yeah. but he's, he's definitely not a guy that's going to be like on a shutdown line necessarily that you, you'd love there. So uh, I don't know if he's going to score enough to really warrant a lineup spot full season, but so far, so good for him. I think he's... I, I think he should make the Leafs out of camp uh, and at least until Tavares and Engvall come back, and then he'll be competing with uh, a number of different guys, including probably Nick Robertson, to, to see who stays uh, long-term. So... Uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I think Robertson's another guy, Nick, that's that's really impressed us. Far. Yeah, he has. I mean, I think if you asked me a week ago um, before the preseason started, my thoughts on Robertson, I would have told you he's 21. There's still time. He's another player that entered the league and played NHL games at a very young age in that Columbus series. So I think just expectations on him have just been really sky high. And I mean, he's still 21. And you look at the other guys that were drafted after him, especially the forwards, like there's not many play everyday NHLers there. So I think we still need to remember that despite it being a great draft pick, he's still a second round pick, um, still very, very young, late birthday. So that kind of factors into it as well. He just turned 21. I think it was early September. So I think if you asked me a week ago, I would have said, well, you know, if he doesn't make the team, that's okay. Like, he still needs some things to work on, especially defensively. Um, but my major concern was his play driving. And this past game, and you never want to take too much from one game, especially a preseason game. Um, I thought Robertson looked different last game. You know, I loved his puck carrying. I thought he was so com- comfortable on the puck. And while Mulligan was doing a lot of the play driving on that line, that game, I thought Robertson held his own. And... The way that he scored his goals, I thought was really impressive. Uh, the first one, he kind of gets into a soft spot, gets a pass, it's out of his reach, and then we already know what he can do when he shoots the puck. And then the second one is he kind of starts out the play. He gets the puck, 
He makes a nice pass. He continues to follow the play, picks up a loose puck, and then fires at home. So, you know, the first goal that he scored in the preseason where he's down the wing, he gets it and shoots along the boards. Like, I think we all know he can do that. Like, if you put him in a scoring spot, he can score. But the big question was, like, is he going to be able to kind of create his own chances at the NHL level? And I think one day he will. Um, but so far in this preseason, I think he's earned a spot on the team, especially with the injuries as well. So I think for him, that last game was just was a great thing to see. Yeah, I think with him, a, a big thing is, you know, I think he's going to make the loose out of camp is my guess. But even if he doesn't, he looks like someone who's going to be up eventually, right? So, you know, looking at him, I see a guy that his shot is, is a carrying skill. Like his shot is close to elite, I would say. Um, the rest of his game is where the question marks come in, but he is winning more puck battles. He does look a little bit stronger. He's an okay puck carrier. He doesn't look, I don't think he's ever going to be great defensively, but he doesn't look, uh, like a liability out there at least. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely an opening on this team, especially if Kerfoot's going to be the center uh, of a bottom six line, because Kerfoot is, is not a volume shooter. He does not shoot the puck much. He kind of needs to be paired with guys who do shoot quite often, and, and Robertson's certainly not afraid to, to shoot the puck. So uh, whether it's to start the season, I mean, it probably won't be to start the season because Kerfoot's going to be uh, jumping up to cover for Tavares. But uh, at, at some point, I think the idea of an Engvall-Kerfoot-Robertson line would really provide a lot of you know depth scoring for the Leafs and, and something they could really use. I think that line really intrigues me, so... I'm hoping for either that or maybe even Avi Cabell, which is what they started with in preseason. Either of those lines, I, I think they'd help replace, you know, the loss of guys like Tasha and Spezza and Blackwell. Uh, because with that camp line, if it is going to be super defensive, you're going to need a line like that to kind of cover in terms of depth scoring. So, you know, at, at some point when the Leafs are fully healthy, when I was looking at cap friendly, it is going to probably come down to, there's only going to be one spot pretty much for... You know, your Robertsons, Malgin, Gaudet, Joey Anderson. Um, and that's assuming they trade Hall and they keep Kerfoot. So, but what I want to ask you is, let's say both Malgin and Robertson are in the lineup. Let's say Tavares is also in. And at some point, I think this type of situation is going to happen. I've seen a lot of kind of tweets on Twitter saying that they'd love to see Robertson with Tavares, Nylander. Um, and then... I think they're going to have that scoring line in the bottom six, just like you said. So who do you think is a better fit for Tavares Nylander between Malgin and Robertson? And who do you think is a better fit for that scoring third line, whether that's with Kerfoot, Yarncrow, Engvall, etc.? I think Yarncrow is the best fit with Tavares Nylander right now. Like he's, he's come out and played extremely well. He's good on the forecheck. He can cover defensively for Tavares Nylander. I think they need a defensive presence on that line whether it's Engvall or Yarncroak. I just think playing Yarncroak there is is the smartest move to start because he's locked in for four years. So like you don't care about inflating his stats. Whoever plays with Tavares and Nylander are going to get you know their numbers inflated. I don't really care if it's Malgin because I don't think the Leafs are thinking long-term with Malgin anyways, but I don't think you start a Robertson there or an Engvall there because you know, you're going to have to you're going to want to re-sign them or at least consider re-signing them in the future. And uh, you're just going to be you know, putting their price up quite a bit. So I I would think that Robertson starts lower if he makes a team and then can work his way up. 
In terms of Maligan, he's looked good with Nylander. I also think Maligan and Kerfoot together is kind of awkward. Like, mm-hmm. they're both kind of smaller. They're both kind of have similar skill sets. Um, so I don't know. I, I think in that case, I'd rather have Maligan with Tavares. But it's going to be a bit weird, right? Because, you know, once Tavares comes back, depending on if Engvall's back, we might not even see Maligan on the roster. It's going to be pretty close. I think Robertson can go down. So if Maligan's playing really well, um, I think you put Robertson down and just kind of let him get some AHL minutes, keep everyone, keep the depth. But if Robertson's out playing Melgan, I think you're going to keep Robertson. You'll put Melgan on waivers, and he'll probably get claimed is my guess. Yeah, well, I do think Yarncrow's probably the best player to play with Tavares Nylander. I mean, he is the best player out of the three. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty unanimous. Um I also would, like, if I just look at Malgin versus Robertson, I also like Malgin with Tavares Nylander. I mean, we've seen in the past how Tavares is definitely slower than he used to be. He needs those transition guys around him to get him into that offensive zone. And uh, I think Malgin is just a better transition player than, um, than Robertson is as of right now. And then one thing that I do like about Robertson is, is like you said, like Kerfoot, Malgan is kind of an awkward pairing, but Kerfoot and Robertson, like, I think that's a great pairing. Kerfoot doesn't really shoot too much. He loves to pass, and Robertson loves to shoot. So I think Robertson could kind of give that bottom six the scoring that they need, that shot first guy that if you if you get a shot there, then, you know, he's going to score most likely. So I also like that too. I think that is a situation that's going to come sooner or later, but, you know, just kind of segueing here, like I just think it's so great that the Leafs have both Kerfoot and Yarncrow on the team because when you're doing the lineups, like it, you almost put everyone else in a situation where they can succeed, and then you just plop Yarncrow and Kerfoot wherever they're needed. Yeah, and I think I think it, Kerfoot's not getting traded. I think I'm I'm almost like certain at this point, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Like he's worth the three point five. Even if like the problem is, is you can't really use the cap space at this point, right? Like. I think Kerf- trading Kerfoot made the most sense early in the offseason where you trade him and then you use the 3.5 to like upgrade elsewhere, right? Like you can either add another yarn croak type or you could go add like a $5 million forward and make cuts somewhere else. Uh, at this point, like I think they need the center depth uh, specifically. I-, I know you could play yarn croak at center and, and go Matthew Tavares camp yarn croak, but I really like having Kerfoot there. I think they need up scoring i think they need transition skill in their bottom six um and they need some playmaking talent in their bottom six and and kerfoot's skill set really fits in well there so i do think kerfoot's here to stay i think it's going to be hall that gets traded eventually is my guess um in terms of melgan sure like if he's if he's on with tavares nylander for a bit at the start okay i don't think i want him there like in a playoff series for example i hope they have something better by then but in terms of robertson's fit I, I, you know, there's a, there's always that argument you see where it's like he's got to be in the top six or he's, he shouldn't be on the team, and I just I don't understand that. Like Phil Kessel was a bottom six player technically for the Penguins when they won. I do think that the Leafs need some sort of offense in their bottom six, and there's not really much to choose from other than Kerfoot, right? Like I don't I haven't really loved Adam Gadet. I don't know if Dennis Malgin. I mean, you see his stats. He doesn't really have anything that jumps off the page uh, offensively. Um, I, I do think that 
you know, Engvall, Kerfoot, Robertson would be a great line. If the Leafs want to start Robertson in the AHL, get him some confidence, get him more minutes, get him some power, top power play time, um, that'd be fine too. I'm not overly opinionated about it, but I do think that if you were putting together your best lineup for game one, I do think Robertson is on the inside looking out, although I don't think it's overly clear, and he's still at the point where a couple of bad games before the start of the season, I might change my mind, so... I, I just think it's been positive overall, like whether he starts the season or not, he looks like someone who's going to be on the team eventually this year. And this is Robertson? Yeah, Robertson. He's definitely going to play a bunch of games. Um, I think he's earned that. And I also agree. I just think that third line scoring line just makes sense for Robertson. Um, I would like to see him with Tavares Nylander at some point, um, but I just don't just where their games at are right now, I just don't really see that working. I, I think Robertson and Tavares in itself is kind of a weird to have both of them on the same line is kind of odd. Um, but I guess we'll see. Like when it comes to playoff lineups and and whether it's gonna be Malgin or or Robertson on that, like it's so far away, it's so tough to see because you know maybe Robertson breaks out, maybe Malgin breaks out. Um, you know, you never know. Like last year, I don't think we would have ever expected that bunting would be you know a a very good first line playoff performer in terms of him playing with Matthews and Marner so things can change um, but I think so far so good I think there's some candidates to definitely uh, outperform their value on their contracts so whether that's Maligan whether that's Abe Cabell uh, whether that's Robertson so I think it's definitely a good start um, to the preseason because it looks like there could be some candidates couple of more things on Robertson. So if you look at his numbers last year, I, I tweeted this out back in May. So AHL under 22 scoring since 2010. If you just look at even strength points per minute, this is guys that are under 22. He's third since 2010, uh, his season last year. So behind Pasternak and Palmieri. Uh, just ahead of guys like Kucherov, Zegras, Jack Quinn. Um, now, age is a big thing there. Like There's a lot of players who got called up before mm-hmm. they were Robertson's age. So you have to take that with a bit of a grain of salt. Robertson doesn't have the power play numbers that some of the other guys do, though with his shot, I think that I'm not really concerned about his power play production. I think it's just a matter of who's setting him up. Like if you put him with Marner, I'm sure he's going to get some good looks and just get a chance to rip that shot and, and put up fine power play production. But it is only a 28-game sample. He struggled with injuries. But, you know, this guy is dominated the OHL level, put an, up an absurd amount of goals per game. And now you look at what he's done at the AHL level, even though it's been a small uh, small sample, he is very young. I think people think he's older than he is because he made the NHL at a young age. Same with Dennis Malgin, actually. Like, Dennis Malgin's fairly young, younger than you'd think. And, you know, I, I, I think if it's Malgin and Robertson on a fourth line to start the year because you have some injuries, I'm perfectly fine with that. And they might be competing for one's one job down the line. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Another guy I wanted to mention, Nick, was Wayne Simmons because I I don't I don't know. I'm kind of torn on how much to look into preseason lines, right? Like there's some things that it's just like, okay, like Yarncroke's playing with Matthews. Keith is just getting them one game familiar just in case they take some shifts with each other. Like it's, it's not meaningful. But then you do have situations where you see like the Aston Reese camp, Obi Cabell line, you go, okay, this looks like it could be an actual line. Or you see 
uh, Kerfoot, Robertson, Abbe Cabell. That was another line. I was like, okay, he's, he's trying out Abbe Cabell in a couple different spots. Wayne Simmons, I haven't really seen him with too many NHL caliber players. Like, he tends to be with a lot of the Marlies guys, I found. Yeah, I, like, to me, the conversation starts and somewhat ends with his contract right now. Like, I, I know you've also been going into cap friendly, kind of playing around with the lineups. Like, once they're somewhat even a little bit healthy, they're going to be so close to the cap. Um, he only makes 900K, but... You know, they've got Joey Anderson at 750, Gaudette at 750. Uh, let's see, Dennis Malgan. I think he's pretty close to 750. He's 750. 750. He's, he's on a dot, 750. Yeah. Um, Nick Robertson, 796. Like, this is only a hundred, $150,000 difference, but, like, I think that's how close they're going to be. So I'm not surprised at all that Simmons is with the Marlies. I just don't think it really, I don't think they can fit him in, especially if they keep Kerfoot and keep Engvall. I don't think they can even make the money work for him to be in the lineup. Well, with, with Lilligard on LTIR to start the season, they could start him there. But then, I, I mean, we've, we've touched on Simmons a lot. Like, he's not going to be defensively sound enough to really play with on a camp shutdown line. Or he's not ideal for it, at least. And then he doesn't provide a ton offensively. So, you know, putting him next to Kerfoot is a bit of a, a mixed bag, too. Mm-hmm. I think Malgan's outplayed him. Although, I think Simmons has actually had a decent preseason to be honest but uh just in terms of the cap situation nick so uh i think we both we both touched on that we don't think kerfoot's getting traded i i guess they could trade engvall but he's hurt right now i also think he's a pretty valuable player in my opinion mm-hmm. so i think it's going to be justin hall as we i think we both agree yeah. i mean they have six defensemen that they need to play regularly having hall around doesn't hurt i think that i would like someone Maybe down the line, you get another Labushkin type or you get someone just like Justin Hall. But um, if you do trade Justin Hall, it's a $2 million cap hit. And really the question becomes, do you want to have a spare on the roster or not? Right? If the, if the answer is yes, if you don't want to have 12 forward 60, if you want to have someone for road trips in case someone gets hurt, uh, you know, give some give a guy like Giordano or Muzzin a day off from time to time, Um you would need, basically, like I'm just looking at the lineup, Robertson can't really be there. He makes too much, even at under 100000 yeah. Simmons can't be there. You would need to have, basically, a league minimum guy like Melgan or Joey Anderson or Godette. And then you'd have to have Aston Reese, and the number is under 769 would be the max cap hit. I know the rumors were... 800 to 850 i don't think that can but happen I'm, uh, maybe well, maybe I'm 800 but well if you do 800 you can't have a spare basically yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna trade hall which is fine um but i'm wondering if the Leafs go to aston reese and say hey like seven i mean it's gonna be like it might be thirty thousand dollars for an nhl player once you factor in escrow and what you pay your agent and tax it's probably not all that much I'm guessing that Aston Reese comes in under that number, the 768, but we shall see. Yeah, Aston Reese is an interesting one. Like he's, I don't know how you felt about how he's played, but I absolutely love him with David Camp and Abe Cabell. Like, I think that's going to be a fan favorite in terms of lines. Um, I think that might be a more like it's it just a suited line. Like you know, Mikheyev was there on that camp line last year. Engvall, I thought they did great. I thought the three of them did great. But like we have a huge um, 
kind of sample of Aston Reese playing in those types of roles where he's getting those defensive zone starts. And he's done really well. Same thing with Kubel, Albi Kubel. Not as big of a sample, but I just think those three are going to be fun. They're going to be physical. They're going to love being in the defensive zone. And like we saw a little taste of it last game where they were going up against Batherson, Stutzla, and Kachuk. And unfortunately, Natural Statric didn't have the... Uh, didn't have the the expected goals. They didn't have the expected goals. They didn't have the Corsi. They weren't tracking that game. But um, by my eye, I mean, it felt like they were always in the offensive zone. The uh, the camp line. So I think they're going to be a great line. To me, I think Dubis should sign him as soon as he can to as low as he can, and then figure out the cap later. Especially with the injuries, it's kind of opened that up now. Yeah, it's just going to be a matter of. If you want the spare or not. They don't necessarily have to have a spare. Like, if you're short a player. What do I sign Aston Reese for? Is that the question? Sorry, no, I'm saying it, it depends on what... I mean, if, if oh, Zach yeah. Aston Reese wants 850, then, I mean, maybe there's a bit of negotiation there. Well, you can give it to him, and then, you know, he might end up getting cut down the line. Like, he's going to have a higher standard. You're going to not be able to have a spare. But uh, my guess is that he... My guess is that it's close to league minimum, or maybe like 760, 765. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge difference if it's 800 versus 768. Like, I don't think it's going to be a game changer for Aston Reese. I think he'll take the role uh, on a good team. But, I don't know, just looking at it, I, I do think that Aston Reese camp Obi Cabell line is, is interesting. I guess my only issue is if, if Aston Reese and camp aren't performing well they're just zero offense to speak of then i don't really know if Aston reese has a role elsewhere like other than camp with than with camp so we'll see i like i like him too i think he'll i think he's gonna make the leaves to get a contract and, and we'll go from there but uh it's gonna be interesting because if you do trade hall and you want to spare then I, I don't think you can have robertson like if you're if you want robertson on the team you you can't have the spare anyways by trading hall so yeah, I, I'll say one thing. Like, I don't. I think Aston Reese should be on that defensive zone start line. Um, I'll throw this out there. Like, I don't. I'm not projecting anything, nor am I kind of implying that this would work. But um, I'm just trying to pull it up here. Like, Aston Reese years ago, uh, he did play on the. Um, he did play with Crosby for a little bit. So barely. Yeah, like. like- I don't know. Like to me, I mean, that's also Sidney Crosby when in like 2017 when he was good. But real, he's still good. But when he, I don't think he can play with Tavares or Matthews. I don't think so either. I think they got a bunch of guys that will play there. But I don't know. I, I just don't. I think Aston Reese should be pretty good with Camp. Like just based on the sample of what we have. Like in terms of, I'm pretty confident he's getting a contract, Aston Reese. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. He's, I don't see much downside to it. Like if it doesn't work and they cut him, then in the future or he doesn't play then like whatever but i, th- I think it's another a- another move i was thinking i've said this all off season but because they're trading justin hall i don't know how much they like jordy ben or victor mette or what was promised to them but i i know they had interest in luke shen last year and he kind of fits the labushkin bagosian role that has kind of worked out here and vancouver could use justin hall right like they really need help on the right side uh, they could use a, a, a pretty good skater in Hall, at least better than Shen. 
I still think that makes sense, and I wonder if the Canucks would retain like two hundred thousand, or even you could retain and have it be under the league minimum in terms of the league's cap hit, right? So I'm wondering if it's a situation like that where you trade Hall, you get like whether it's like Will Borgen in in Seattle or Luke Shen with Vancouver, uh, you get someone pretty cheap that you can kind of just throw in there and, and fits. So I guess there are other options. Uh, I'm not expecting much of a return for Hall. I'm wondering if they're going to hold on to him as much as possible because they're not expecting a big return. And then they, I don't know if they're going to trade him before the start of the season or if they're going to wait until like Lilligren's back and everyone's healthy and they need the cap space and then trade him like in October. So that'll be interesting. I think they're just going to wait until like the last minute and then probably have trades like ready to go type thing. And then it's yeah. going to be a kind of a wild goose chase for the end. Yeah, we'll see if any other teams have injuries too, right? So maybe that, because there's not a lot of teams that need right defensemen right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone could use an extra one, but most most teams, their top three spots are, are accounted for, right? And uh, yeah, sure, they could use Hall, but I don't think, I don't see too many teams that are, that are clear need for Hall, let's put it that way. But uh, in terms of the game one lineup, I want to get your thoughts or your prediction in terms of what we're going to see. So I'm assuming Tavares is out. We're kind of not sure about Engvall. Uh, maybe we can do one with Engvall and without. But I guess we could probably start. The first line, we're going to agree, Matthews, Bunting, Marner. I think that's a given. Yeah, definitely. Keith has kind of alluded to the fact that that's going to happen. I know some people wanted to see Nylander with Matthews, but I mean, with Tavares out, it's a bit of a different dynamic, so... Uh, the second line, I'm going to assume Kerfoot because Tavares is out. Mm-hmm. Kerfoot at center, playing with Nylander. Who do you have as their winger? Uh, I have Robertson right now. Really? Yeah, I think I think just Kerfoot, um, Nylander makes sense. And I think they'll, they'll probably have Yarncrow maybe on that, on that third line right now. That's where I have it right now. You mean like the camp line or like the last bottom six line? The last bottom six. I, I'm calling that the third line this year. Okay. It's yeah, good. camp is... That looks like a fourth line. Like that's a, It's a shutdown line. They might get more minutes than the fourth line because they play tough minutes, but it is a fourth line. Yeah, okay. I mean, camp, camp played a lot last year. Um, and, and I was just thinking about it in hindsight, um, like how much camp played last year. And I think it is more like a fourth line. That's what it should be. So do you think but, the camp line... If Engvall's back, do you think they're going to stick with Aston Reese Camp, Obi Cabello, or do you think is going to go back with Camp? I think Engvall will go with that, um, the third. The new line? Yeah, the new line. We'll call it the new the line. The unknown maybe. line? Yeah, like maybe... We have th- no idea he's going to go that line. Maybe 3A, 3B, like I don't know what we're going to call it, but I think Camp, Obi Cabello, and Aston Reese, like if Aston Reese gets signed, that's got to be a staple at least to start the season. Yeah, that's my guess too. And then... In terms of the last line, there's so many different options because you could play Yarn Crook at center. Um, you have Robertson, Melgan. I, I think I think I think Yarn Crook starts with Kerfoot and Nylander is my guess. Um, yeah, like even like a Joey Anderson, a Wayne Simmons. Like even though we might not have Simmons on our team, the Leafs still might. Uh, I don't think Clifford has a chance, just who he's playing with in preseason. He hasn't shown anything in preseason either mm-hmm. that I've seen. I don't think he's even competing for a job, but there's just so many different guys uh, that could be on the fourth line. So um, let's hear your 
let's hear your last of the four lines. Whether it's the third line or the fourth line, I don't care. Let's just hear what it is. So right now, this is without Engvall or Tavares. I've got Yarncrow, Holmberg, and Mulgan. And then the last line is Aston Reese, Camp, Abe Cabal. I, I don't know. The, the big thing is that Goddard, I, I just don't, I haven't been that impressed with him so far of preseason. Like you look at his numbers in the past, um, it was kind of an odd signing to me. Like I did watch a little bit of him at the World Championships and he did look good. Um, but so far he hasn't really impressed me too much in the preseason. Based on what Keith said that, you know, they were going to give him a shot. Maybe he, he replaces Holmberg, but then Yarkro plays center or Balgan plays center on that third line. So uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see what God did. He's, he's a bit of a mystery to me right now. Yeah, I'm surprised you had Holmberg on. I didn't think you were going to do that because I was going to do that. And now <laughs> I've you stole my thunder. I think... You know I love Holmberg. I don't know. Well, it just... He is waivers exempt, so you could put him down when Tavares comes. Like, just throw him to the Marlins. Uh, but he's a player who's impressed me because you don't really notice about hit there. And I think with some of these players, like with a lot of the borderline fringe players, we'll call them, um, you know, you have different, I guess, wants from them. There's some players that you want to notice, right? Like if you don't notice Nick Robertson in a game, you're it's a negative on him. Um or really any of the offensive wingers, do you want to notice them? you want to see them being dangerous? With Holmberg, as a center, you kind of just want him to play boring defensive hockey. And uh, Camp wasn't at practice today, so Holmberg was between Aston Reese and Obi Cabell. And I think if if Camp goes down, I think that's where he'd play. I think Holmberg would come up and play between them. And it looks like he's capable of playing boring hockey, He's come close to scoring a, a few times. Like he's generated some offense. He's played with more offensive players, but I like him in the role where you come up. Um, it's almost like you know what we saw last year when the Leafs needed a defenseman, and you see like Rubens or Dahlstrom come up because the Leafs just want them to you know not be noticeable, right? Like let let our star players control the game, and you just kind of do your job and, and and you know don't be noticeable, and. Often that's reasons why guys like Joey Duzak or Jeremy Bracco type, they don't get called up is because, yeah, we know you can score, but we don't really have a scoring role for you, and we think you're a liability defensively. So, you know, it's it's kind of the complete opposite. I think Holmberg is is good that he's, he's going to be able to play defensive hockey. I think Yarncroke starts the season in the top six. I think he's going to play with Kerfoot and Nylander. That's my guess. And then Robertson, I'd have him with Malgin and Holmberg. I, I guess. Yeah. And I think and, and I know what you're saying in terms of like not being noticed. Um, like Holmberg's not going to be the type of guy at the NHL level where he wows you, where he does that big play, you know, but you know, to me, there's a huge difference between like a guy like Jimmy VZ who wasn't noticeable and Pontus Holmberg, like Holmberg's always in the right spots. He's moving. He's you know, positionally very, very good. Um, well, it's a center winger thing, right? Like I think centers. I want more defensive-minded players. Wingers, it's like, you better do something offensively unless you're going to be like Aston Reese. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I, I think Holmberg does, like, a lot of nice things well. They're just not things that are going to make it onto the highlight reel. Um, I will say, you know, he kind of reminds me at this time, like, Holmberg's still 23. Uh, he's a 6th or 7th round pick. I can't even remember now. But, you know, there's still some upside to him. Like, just watching him... 
he was the SHL uh, MVP in the playoffs uh, last year. So, like, he has some up- offensive upside to him. I think right now, though, he's, he's kind of going to be like a, um, oh, geez, I was going to say Travis Boyd. But um, Brooks, Adam Brooks, like a little bit like Adam Brooks, where even with Adam Brooks, like just very, very defensively responsible. He's always in the right spots. He comes in when he has to, um, you know, him with Spezza two years ago during that uh, that uh, all Canadian division year, like Brooks was fantastic whenever he came up. And that's the type of year I expect from Pontus Holmberg. I just think he's going to mostly be the Marlies player. He's going to be one of their leading scorers. And whenever he comes up, he's going to give you responsible hockey um, at that center position. So I think he's, and I think on that line, he'll be fine. We have some news at a camp here I wanted to get to. So uh, number one, Rasmus Sandin says he went from 178 pounds to 194. So he gained 16 pounds. That's going to be interesting. That's from David Alter. And then uh, Pierre Engvall is taking part in his first practice today so in terms of Engvall maybe he is progressing towards playing opening night uh he'd be interesting as well because he could play center until Tavares gets back and you could do put Sam Holmberg down and go Robertson, Engvall, Maligan um you could also just cut Maligan or just cut Robertson uh and, and put the fourth line accordingly so it's going to be interesting I don't, I don't know what they do when Engvall Tavares comes back um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Robertson goes down and I wouldn't be surprised if Malkin gets cut. So I, I do think there's still a few games here, but I think they do matter. Like if, if Malkin can, you know, be the first star of the game in, a, in another game or two, he's going to really put a, uh, a case, make a case for himself. And then we could also see other injuries. We could also see, um, something else that changes the equation. But I do think Holmberg is firmly in the conversation, at least to start, because, I've noticed he's playing center every game, and like we haven't seen Malgan at center, who can play center. We haven't seen Yarncrook at center. Uh, we haven't. We've just Gadet just started practicing at center, so we'll get a look at him. But Gadet is probably more offensively focused than Holmberg. But just the results haven't been there, and if it's just for a few games, I mean, I don't really care. But I think Holmberg's probably my preference over Gadet in terms of just a boring center. Yeah. And um, sometimes that leads to more offense too. It's just, you know, better play driving at the end of the day than Gaudet. Um, so I, I don't know. Gaudet's definitely a mystery to me. It's a good problem to have, right? I, I think this year, like last year, when we were watching Nick Ritchie, I think he had a decent preseason. I remember that game he scored two goals against Montreal. Um, but to me, I, I don't think the Leafs really have like that bad signing like Nick Ritchie, like these are all very low risk signings that they've done. Um, maybe Gaudet is like this year's Nick Ritchie without the term and the type of contract, but I don't know. I, I think this year they just have a lot of good options here. Abe Cabell looks pretty good early. Um, getting Maligan back was good. They're getting some production from Robertson, which is nice considering he's a homegrown prospect. So I think the forward group is is looking pretty good right now. It's It's pretty wide open in terms of guys making the team. And you'll obviously have that top two, the top two lines that are kind of in, in stone in terms of having those, you know, Bunting, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares when they're all healthy. Yeah, just that long winger spot. Well, hopefully Arncro can impress and, and end up there. Um, I think lastly, or one of the last things I want to touch on is 
I think one of the biggest bright spots so far has been the goaltending. I know it's just preseason, and for NHL players that, it, that are established and not competing for roles, like Murray and Samsonov, it's not the most meaningful thing in the world, but let me tell you, if Murray had given up, like, five goals in his first game, <laughs> this would be, like, a nonstop story. So I think it's it's just been... I'm happy that we haven't come across that story yet. I'm sure, like, he'll have one bad game, and uh, Leafs Nation will be losing their minds in panic. But so far, so good. Samsonov did have a bit of a weak goal at the end there, but the game was pretty much out of reach. Um, so I, I do think that both goaltenders have been pretty pretty good so far. And I think just for the Leafs in general, um, you look at how far they've come defensively, particularly last year, and you're really going to be hoping to put the put those two goalies in a position to succeed where they're not facing a lot of on-man rushes, they're not facing a lot of breakaways, uh, they have a good penalty kill in front of them, and then they're just, you know, hopefully facing more shots from a distance rather than uh, in close range. So hopefully that can help, you know, if they're if Matt Murray plays like a 9-10 goaltender skill-wise, hopefully uh, the Leafs system and, and defensive talent will make him a 9-15, for example, like a little bit of a boost in terms of save percentage just from defense. But you look at the team and you go, okay, we got a full season of Giordano. Uh, Muzz and Brody are both good shutdown defensemen. Um, we'll see about Lilligren, Sandine, uh, Riley. Obviously, they're, I'd say they're a little bit more offensively tilted, but we'll see. And then just guys like Aston Reese, Camp, Obi Cabell, uh, adding a guy like Kelly Yarncroke. One thing that's really stood out to me this preseason, Nick, has been the amount of defensive wingers um, that the Leafs have added. Like, Yarncroke, Obi Cabell, and Aston Reese, those three specifically, they're hard to play against. Like, they seem to always be in position. They're fairly physical, especially Obi Cabell and Aston Reese. And then, you know, some of the guys that left, like, I love Spezza, but wasn't the best defensively at that stage of his career. Blackwell was a little bit more offensively tilted, especially when he played center. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how good this team can be defensively and what impact that has on the goaltenders. Definitely. And I'm glad that you talked about defensive, their defensive hockey, because at the end of the day, like, yes, Camp, Abe Cabell, and Zach Aston Reese are going to start in their defensive zone a lot. Um, they're going to be put in those situations a lot. But, I mean, at the end of the day, defense is the goal of defense is to gain the puck back. So good defense leads to more offense. And the other night we saw you know, Camp spent a good amount of time in the offensive zone, and, and that was his own doing with his line mates. So, and they even got the goal for Abe Cabell, which started in the defensive zone. They were great in transition in terms of making those passes, and then it turned into like a mini two-on-one. So I don't expect much offense from that line, you know, if they go through with it, um, obviously just because of the deployment and they're just not very offensive players. But I think when you do get offense from them, it's it's almost like a cherry on top. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about their forward lines. But let's let's move on to the defense because I think right now the goaltending is it's it's pretty boring. Like I think last year we talked about so much about the goaltending because there was so much kind of negative negativity to talk about. But I think this year, like it's been pretty boring, and I think that's kind of the way you want it to be with goaltending. But let's talk about the defense here. I think to me, there's a lot of options. I think it looks great on paper. My big question would be, who do you think plays with Riley? Um, and do you think do you see him on the right side? Well, based on Keith's comments, it, he fully expects him to be on the left. So I'm going to assume that Riley's going to be on the left. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't mind Riley on the right at all. I think he's one of the best options to move over, to be honest, just because of his, his skating, and he's not that strong defensively anyways. Um, but we'll see, right? Like, I think it looks like Sandine and his first practice is on the right next to Muzzin. Um, so if Riley is on the left, I mean, I think Brody is kind of the obvious partner for him uh, at this stage. Like, putting him with Sandine would be, a, especially Sandine on his offside, you could do that for offensive zone starts, but permanently, I don't think it really makes sense. Um, Lilligren's not even healthy right now. And then, you know, Jamie Benz, and I, or Jordy Ben, if he does play, if like someone else was injured, uh, he's not even healthy. We haven't seen Justin Hall with Riley basically ever. So I think it's definitely Riley Brody. And then after that... You know, you could either go Muzzin Hall like they had at the start of last year, Giordano Hall like they have in practice right now, and then the the other one of Muzzin, Giordano will start with Sandine, and then once the Lugrin comes in, I'm assuming he's going to replace Justin Hall. That's just my guess. Yeah, I would say that too. I think they're just going to wait for Lilligren to come back, trade Justin Hall, and then after that, I mean, we've seen Keith experiment in the 82-game seasons before, and I think... It's going to kind of be like an ongoing thing throughout the season. I think them just trying different guys on the right side, seeing which one sticks, and then kind of using all that information to kind of ice the best lineup by the time the trade deadline comes by. So, you know, um, I think it's going to be an interesting season just because they have so many options. Yeah, a couple other things I want to touch on. Like, you know, that Sandine signed, um, and it was 1.4, so I think, you know, it was kind of all of that for nothing. I think that's what the lease offered eventually. I guess good on Toronto for sticking to their offer and getting them at that price. But their whole defense is locked in for next year at the same price, other than Justin Hall, who we think is going to be traded. Um, so the cap goes up, I think, another million. And then they'll be able to use those savings. Matt Murray's also locked in. Um, so you can either use that savings for Samsonov. They also have a lot of forwards, mainly depth forwards, with the exception of Michael Bunting. You end up Angle, Camp. Obi Cabell, you got to resign, but Kerfoot as well. But they do have a lot of flexibility. And then I was just looking at their cap situation for next year. And it's amazing how many other top prospects should be ready by next year, right? Like Robertson, if not this year, then definitely next year. Matthew Nyes, we're expecting next year. Uh, if Rory Anamirov gets healthy, uh, as long as he he's gets enough, enough games under his belt this season, I think he'll be certainly in the conversation next season. Um, and then you look at guys like Avery Zizi, Alex Steves, Holmberg, um, even Roni Hervinen, uh, Toby Nimala on the back end. So it's it's kind of interesting that, I mean, not Fraser Minton, but almost all of their top prospects are going to be hitting the, hitting the NHL level or at least competing for an NHL job at the same time. So uh, another bright future thing. And I know you wanted to touch on some of the prospects you watch, Nick. So let's, we don't have trivia today, but let's do a, a Nick D'Souza prospect corner. Well, I do have some uh, over-unders for you later because uh, we are okay. getting closer to the regular season and we do love our over-unders. Um, but yeah, I mean, the season just started for the prospects. You know, during the prospect tournament, I know you watched it too. Um, I know you talked about like Max Ellis and I think I think Ty Voigt impressed you as well, right? Uh, yeah, we'll see on Voigt. Yeah. Like, well, he's going to... So yeah. He's so young. Yeah, he's so going to have a good but... season this year. I watched him last night. He got the OT winner. He was, he's just like a very shifty, just he's a very shifty player. That, uh, you know, obviously a lower draft pick, but um, 
I think there's definitely some upside there with him. Matt Nyes, I actually was not able to see his game, but I watched the highlights. I think he's in for a monster season. We'll see how he uh, how he progresses. I mean, I know a lot of people are expecting him to play this year for the Leafs and be in the playoff lineup. I, I guess we'll have to see. I just think it's a lot to expect from a player uh, to come in after the trade deadline, after playing college all year, and then to make an impact in the top six. But, I mean, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. He's still very young. Um, and I think he'll be a full-time NHLer next year. But let, let's go straight to the over-unders. Because honestly, like the prospects just started playing, go, like going back to their uh, their team. So there's not too much to talk about there. But let's go to the over-unders, Kevin. Are you ready for them? I'm ready. Okay, so first one, the Toronto Maple Leafs over-under 112 points. They had 115 last year. Um, I think the division in general got a little bit better, so I put them at 112 points over under. I'm gonna go under. That okay. to be a downer, but the the conference is just so much stronger this year. I know like some of the top teams have declined, but when I look at teams like Columbus getting Goudreau, Ottawa getting Giroux and Debrincat, uh, you know Montreal, even though they're not that much better, they are pretty deep at forward, and I don't think they can be much worse. Uh, Buffalo should take a step forward, even if it's a small one. Detroit made some additions, so I don't, I don't see. I think it's just going to be a more competitive division in general. So that's why I'm going under. Okay, I'm going to go over because I do think the goaltending is going to be better this year. I think 112 in general is just. A tough thing to get to. I think 115 last year was just kind of a bigger accomplishment than any of us realized. But I'll say they're like 113, 114, like probably around the same as last year, especially if that goaltending can be better. Um, but I do appreciate that 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 division is definitely a lot better than last year, especially at the bottom. So let's keep going here. Austin Matthews over under 58 goals. I gotta go under again. Wow, gonna be the downer in this podcast. Yeah, well, he only he only uh, played seventy three games last year. Sixty goals in seventy three games last year, and you're going under. It was only seventy three. Yep. <laughs> that might change your mind a little bit. It's that's a good line, but if he plays all eighty two, he probably goes over. But like, there's no guarantee he's gonna play all eighty two, right? Like you'll. Even if he plays like 78, 77, again, like the division should be a bit better. Sorry, the conference should be a bit better. And it's just so hard to score 60. Yeah. So I'll go, I'll go, if I was betting on this, I'd probably go under, but that's a really good line. I probably would have, I'd probably stay away from that line. I'll, I would, uh, I would attack that line actually. I'll go over. Um, wow. Just 73 games. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, William Nylander over under 30 goals. He had 30, over. 34 in 81 games last year. Yeah, that's an over. Okay. I mean, he's got to stay healthy to do that, but, I mean, he's going to get power play one time. He should have a, like, I think Tavares is going to have a better season, you'd hope. And then, I mean, 30 for him. He should he should be able to hit 30 or very close to it. And he he's, he's done pretty well at staying healthy, so... I'll go over 30 for, for... I can't be a downer every question. Yeah, so next one is the NHL. It wasn't the NHL. He isn't the NHL's Rookie of the Year, but he was the Everything Leaves podcast Rookie of the Year. Michael Bunting, over, under. So last year, 63 points in 79 games. A lot of people expecting some regression this year. I will say, let's let's put it at 60. Over, under. Let's go 58, actually. 58 over, under. Points. Points? Yeah. Under. Wow. 
Yeah, like he's not on the top. He's gonna start on the top power play, and I think a lot of that might be if there's other injuries and he gets more power play time. But um, obviously, like a lot of his product, he had a ton of even strength points last year. Mm-hmm. He will get that riding shotgun with Matthews and Marner, and I think he's gonna keep that job because there's not really any or too much competition for that job. Like that's his pretty firmly, but I'll still go under. I think it's heavily dependent on how much power, top power play time he gets. Um, and then he's got to stay healthy, right? So it'll, it'll be close. I think it's going to be really close because I, I, don't, I didn't do the math for this, but Butting didn't play on that top line until, what, like week three, week four? Uh, played 79 games last year, but I remember last year he started, I think it was like on a, like a Kerfoot line, like Kerfoot Nylander or something like that. And then once he went on Matthews Marner, they just completely popped off. But uh, it's going to be so close. I, I I'll say over, but just over. I'm I'm completely over for everything. Um, if he loses his job, even for a couple of weeks, yeah. Or if if another big guy like if Matthews got hurt or something, he'd be under. So it's tough to say. If he plays all 82 games next to Matthews Marner, it's probably an over. But that's not a given. So. Good line, though. Good line. So, next one, let's go with um, who plays more this year, Dennis Mulligan or uh, Nick Robertson, just in games played with the Leafs. Nick Robertson. Okay. I think that's pretty... I'll have Nick Robertson. Pretty com- I'm pretty confident in that one. Like, Mulligan's going to be fighting for a job. I know he's impressed in preseason, but they want to give Robertson playing time. So, Mulligan would really have to impress, and then even if he does impress... Yep. Robertson still could get minutes, right? So, yeah, um, I, I'm just not sure if Mulligan's going to be on the team for the whole year, like within the organization, just because of waivers, etc. So, I think Robertson's obviously just going to be around even late in the season when he's with the Marlies and his injuries, he'll be up there. So, I'll say Robertson as well. Uh, so, who's going to play more, Adam Gaudet or whoever else you're going to say, Wayne Simmons? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I. This is a good one. It might be... I'm going to go Wayne Simmons. I think Wayne Simmons... See, with the fourth line center job being open, I think Cadet has a chance to make it out of camp. Um, we'll see. But I, I, I just don't know if they're ready to give up on Simmons. Like They've shown a lot of faith in him. They seem to like him. He's still wearing the assistant captain in preseason. I wouldn't be surprised if he's... I think I think he's a little bit better odds to make the team at a camp, so I'll go with Simmons. I think I might tweet these out after just to uh, just so that we we'll, we can remember them and look look back on them at the end of the season. This one is really tough. I think I'm gonna go with Adam Gaudet. I think he's gonna play like the first ten to fifteen games and kind of fizzle out, and I think that might be just enough to beat out Wayne Simmons this year. So, um, and I guess we'll see. With I doubt I don't think he's playing at fifteen. Yeah, we'll see. and then okay, next one. This is the last one, actually. It's gonna be Alex Kerfoot over under ten minutes of even strength play on defense at five on five this year. Under under. How would Kerfoot get defense? Then? Well, he's. I bet you bought. He, he played more than ten minutes already in the preseason, so that's that's where the line is: ten minutes even strength on defense this whole season. Uh, now that he's uh, auditioned. There and he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good on defense, but I definitely don't think that's going to be something we see in the future. 
But I hope that line gets beat. Out of all of them, I hope Kerfoot plays more than 10 minutes. I think that'd be funny. <laughs> I, I Like, even Martyr on defense, I know Sheldon Keefe was talking about that. I don't think it's going to be... I think it's going to be under 10 minutes, too. Like, the shift before they pull the goalie, I can see him out there, but that's about it. He's a forward. Yeah. You know, every, every offseason, we have... Can Marner play center? Can Marner play defense? It's never-ending. Guy's a, guy's a right winger. So, uh, with that being said, uh, we have a few games left before the start of the season. Uh, we'll probably jump on here either right before the season starts or you know, some post-game podcast as soon as, it, uh, as soon as things get kicked off here. But thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see everyone next week.